0: October 28th, 2009, and this is Radio Wave. Thank you for joining us on tonight's special broadcast of Radio Wave. Our host is a friend of Medjugorje, and of course, tonight's broadcast we've been speaking about over the last several weeks. This is a special broadcast, and of course, for those of you that have been uh, listening in to Radio Wave for the past several weeks, and those of you who have been visiting Medjugorje.com, we have uh, spoken about the show quite a bit, and... uh, The basic concept is that uh, a friend of Medjugorje will take Our Lady's messages and give you practical advice on how to apply these messages to everyday life. And, of course, uh, that includes every situation from your financial crises that you might be facing to your everyday decisions that you have to face to take Our Lady's messages and to place them over the issues as a template. And that, of course, everything from your job to, uh, again, to your financial, also to your spiritual life. So Our Lady's Messages, a friend of Medjugorje has been saying over and over again that Our Lady's Messages are not just for spiritual things. They're not just about praying. They're also about uh, taking these messages and culturalizing them uh, into your everyday life.
1: We get a lot of mail, a lot of phone calls from people all over the country that are obviously very concerned about what is happening with our economic situation can we look for something to start turning more positive um how do we deal with it if it doesn't how do we deal with the stresses now and it's and it's not just people that are involved in the Medjugorje movement but it's very common for us in our situations with dealing with uh, the agrarian part of our life to be dealing with people not just Christians even but um Everybody seems to bring this subject up very readily in our conversations. And uh, so we know that this is the big discussion point and the big concern in everybody's lives, rich or poor, you know, people that are um, uh, just your uh, average workers out there, but everybody's concerned with this issue.
0: I distinctly remember a friend of Jura, giving a talk several years ago, and uh, I believe it was a talk in Louisiana or Mississippi. I don't remember exactly that. But I distinctly remember, remember him saying that Our Lady said that in Medjugorje that she had the plan for the salvation of mankind. That being the case, that means that the solution to every problem in the whole world will be found somewhere in the messages. And so tonight we'll give you some of that insight. And a friend of Medjugorje will take those messages again and place them over the issues as a template. So before you get into this show, um, we ask that you please enter into a spirit of prayer so that you will be able to understand and to be able to accept this. Um, A friend of Medjugorje said during the last broadcast that uh, it was necessary for us to accept the messages of Our Lady. As followers of Our Lady, it was necessary that we even accept these messages. So this may be a concept that may be new to you. So uh, we encourage you over the next uh, two hours of this special broadcast to uh, divest yourself of all of the things that uh, your philosophies of what you think Our Lady's messages are about, and to take this time to allow your uh, mentality to change. And so, again, before we enter into this broadcast, uh, we ask that you open your hearts in prayer as we turn Radio Wave over to our host, a friend of Medjugorje.
2: Well, we have an exciting show tonight because... This is something that uh, we've only done once before, and actually, it, it, by chance, it just ended up almost exactly one year ago. What was the data that showed the first, when we started talking about economics? It
0: was, uh, I believe, November 11th, or somewhere around that time. We were, November. we
2: were amazed at those who wrote in about it, and, and uh, how much they said it helped them. And you might think, well, you know, is this getting off the, the course of the message? Our Lady said May 22nd, 1986... Dear children, accept me in your life, so you will be able to accept all I am saying to you, and which I am calling you. So, a lady is saying a lot, and if she's not coming here to, to just say, okay, if you go to mass, if you pray three hours a day, that's all I got to say. If she's coming to correct the world, that mean, that means cor- correction means that which is wrong has to be changed to be corrected we know we live in a society that has many many wrongs and in fact our lady gave another message in which she said uh she actually showed us that people don't understand good or bad they really don't even know that anymore and we're amazed at at sometimes the the frequency of the um, messages and how long people have been in it that they still don't understand our lady said it does not suffice to pray uh, and I just found this at random, uh, and I just got through saying this that you know everybody thinks she's just coming to say pray. It's much more. Ali says it does not suffice to pray. You must change your life, your heart. Love the others. Have love for others. Love what you do. That's your work, your life, your state, whatever you're in. Love what you do, and always think about Jesus, and you will understand what is good. And what is bad? A lady recently told us you've lost the power of discernment. So we see this because so many people are so absorbed in things that they really have blinded themselves. And so a lot of this has to do with economics. Uh, There's very few people out there, be you have wealth, be you have no wealth. If you've got it, you're worried about how you're going to keep it. There's anxiety about that. If you don't have it, you worry how you're going to get it to, to pay your bills. So, if you think this is off base, you don't understand our lady's plan. If you think that we're venturing in areas that we shouldn't be talking about, you, you need to go back to square one and read what our lady told the village in the very beginning days. Every Thursday. This is incredible. Every Thursday, our lady said, every single Thursday, I want you to read Matthew 6. And that's the course the scripture's about, you can't serve two masters. God or money, and it talks about, don't worry about what you eat, eat to drink tomorrow, that God can clothe the, the flowers of the spill in greatest splendor, that not even Solomon was arrayed in such, or a sparrow doesn't, you know, so weep, and yet God feeds it. Ask yourself this question, why did God allow a Lady to come and say, I want you to read this chapter every Thursday? Because everything's rooted to the economics. Everything's rooted to to the system. In fact, we think of the Antichrist and how evil and all the sin he's for, his whole system's economic. You'll need to buy nor sell everything. So this is a very, very important subject, and a subject that you want to be free from and not be lassoed in or shackled by a system that forces you to stay hooked into it. And so by the end of the program, we're going to show you how to unhook from it, how to be free, how to, to take... Uh, this control of your situation and not let it take control of you. you know, Our Lady said another message, you've created a whole new world without God as if you're your own creator. Our Lady says, due to another message due to the spirit of consumerism referencing you know, its evilness, you've, you, you've lost love. You don't know, uh, the refer- basically the message refers to uh, you don't know what's right or wrong. kind of related to this message. I'll find the exact quote from it in a little bit. But Our Lady said frequently uh, about materialism and those things that bind us, that we lose our way. And so it's not without a a very big, big thing that Our Lady had the village praying this. She wanted it read aloud to the whole village every Thursday. So this is a keystone point. Economics is a very keystone point. Money is a very, very important factor in these messages. Because it's through which power, lust, and all the other things go wrong with it or along with it happens. And money in and of itself is not bad. It's what we do with it or we don't do with it. So I think we're going to find some very, very exciting things in this show that uh, will give you some strong, strong guidance. Uh, We've got um, a situation that exists today where we're waiting for a revival of the economic system. That as it crashes and it gets worse and things go out of control, we're we're hoping for the stock markets to come up for those who have investments. We're hoping for the jobs for those who are on the on the labor side on the lower end, waiting for more work to come. Do you ask yourself: Is the system right? Is it a holy system? You know where freedom is is where it's holy. And it's up to the individual to be free, free and as well of choice. You know, first of all, free market is is the basic market you need that we need as a society, and it's and it's Christian. Now that doesn't mean everybody in the free market is going to be Christian, or they're not going to they're not going to uh, tilt their scales, as Proverbs says. Make sure that you you know you you don't weigh uh, falsely your your weights on your scales to make sure you're, you're accurate. People can take abuse of that, but. God gave us a free will, and the free market is the closest thing to individuals making that choice of what they do. Uh, Any other market from there starts getting away from things and starts being oppressive. But I'm not here to advocate this economic system versus this economic system. It's what we've allowed to enslave us. And people are waiting on a system that is not correct to come back to where it was for its rescue. And a lady's shown us a whole different way. I said, June 2nd, 2007, In this difficult time, God, God's love sends me to you, my children. Do not be afraid. With complete trust, give me your hearts that I may help you to recognize the signs of the times in which you live. We've spoken a lot about this in the last several programs. The signs of the times in which you live. We don't have to wait anymore. Biblically, we had to wait 2,000 years, scripturally. Watch for these signs. It is here. It is now. This is a big deal. A very big deal. And yet people are hoping in something that's false that it's going to save them, their financial situation, or it's going to rescue them. And it's not the direction. Our Lady calls us for a new life. A new way. You know, on October 2nd, 2007, Our Lady says, The way in which I lead you through God is difficult, but persevering in the end we will all rejoice through God. So she calls us for a different direction, a different way of life. And it's not just that we abandon everything in life, we don't have nothing to do with it, because she does want us to, to, to use these things uh, that's in the world. And that we, we start living heaven on earth now. We live in harmony with God in His way and His creation. And so we'll get into some of these things. We, we have uh, a fascinating interview with... Uh, Dr. Swenson, that was with James Dobson, focused on the family that we want to play, we've uh, talked about his book, Hurling and of Living, many times. But I think it's a foundation for us to start to show, to show us um, that this is just not some concoction or some kind of opinion that we come up with. This is a futurist. He's a doctor that uh, has studied this and future trends with other futurists. And what I found, for, where it struck a chord with me and where I found him fascinating is he, of course, is Protestant, but he's coming from a position of science, unconnected to the message, but so messaged that he has to be getting what he's getting from the Holy Spirit. I mean, he speaks about different things that are so messaged, in other words, connected directly to all these messages without the knowledge of him. And it's fascinating because he's dead on. He's dead on what he's saying, and of course, our, our, our lady talks about you know that we are, are in a in a special time, a time that we uh, must realize is, is different than the ages we come from, and so in the future he talks uh, in this interview you'll hear him say some things remarkable you know about the future and the path that we've taken. And yet, we have our lady, January 25th, 2001, saying, Little children, the one who prays is not afraid of the future. Why is she saying that? Except there's something in our future that's not going to be pleasant. And of course, we've spoken about June 25th, 2000, which I think we confirmed was on a Sunday. I spoke directly to Maria about that. And the next day, the Vatican came out with the release, release of the Third Secret, which. Cannot be anything but about the future the next day. We waited 40 years for this message to come out, or rather this third secret of Fatima to come out. And it's, of course, where the sword is pointed to the earth. Flames come from it. Upon contact with the splendor of the Lady, she deflects it. At the same time, we um, hear Our Lady tell us what we need to be doing to guide us away from this purification, but it, because she deflects it doesn't mean it isn't going to happen. And so many, even in the Vatican, not all, but some in the Vatican were saying, well, this has happened in the 20th century. So most of this is past us. And yet the day before, our lady says, the one who prays is not afraid of the future. Do You think, and this is one of the, I think the third shortest monthly message. Do you think for one moment that a lady is going to say the day before that third secret of Fatima, that she, that she was the same person, this is not another Madonna, This is the same woman of revelations that after 40 years that this secret was allowed to be read, and was it for whatever reasons, that she says the day before it's released by the Vatican, the one who prays is not afraid of the future. If this third secret was not about the future, you better believe it is. You better believe it. So, Our Lady gives this, and she wanted us to be pointed on that point, because, again, the message was so short. It's three sentences. So the highlight of that message is the one who prays is not afraid of the future. She wanted to focus in on that. And to me, that was a sign in and of itself. Do you not notice the signs of the time in which you live? As a child, I waited for this message in grammar school, hearing the nuns talk about it. 2000, June 26th, it's released. The day before, a lady comes and says this about the future. So... Uh, hearing about the future and talking about the future is very, very important in thinking about the future. And Our lady says another time, uh, if you say, I say, reflect on your past to correct your future. In other words, reflect on what you've done in your past sins or reflect on what's happened. You know, our lady didn't say that. She said, reflect on your future. She's coming for future. She wants us to have future. Our lady actually gave us another message that says, uh, you, ha- there is no future. without God. So if we have God, we have future. If we don't have God, we don't have future. And we we must realize this is something of, of a, a thing that we don't comprehend today. We don't conform to even if we do comprehend it because the ways of the world and what we put our faith into is the, is the God that exists in the, in the system as it is now. So... Uh, after the break, we're going to come back and and uh, we'll go we'll talk a little bit more and go right back into our right into Doctor Swinson's interview.
3: past, God destroyed the sinful world in the waters of the flood. He chose Noah alone and his family to be saved upon the ark. Today, mankind is sinking in a whirlpool of sin, and it does not even know in what sin it is sinking. Who will save us from this whirlpool? Where is our ark to be found? Who is our navigator upon the stormy waves? The ark today is not of wood made by man, but rather in the opening of a motherly mantle, the star of the sea, Mary of Nazareth, mother of Jesus, the Queen of Peace, God's ark for us today, leading us to security, to peace to a future will you allow yourself to be saved upon this ark a new ark a booklet by a friend of Mejigoria. available on medj.com spelled M-E-J dot com or call in the U.S. 205 672 2000 205 672 2000 a new ark by a friend of Medjugorje available through Caritas of Birmingham.
0: You're listening to Radio Wave with a friend of Medjugorje.
2: So we're going to head right into Dr. Swinson's interview. And I think while you're listening to this, it's important that you really pay attention uh, you'll want to re re listen to this program because there's a lot he says, and quickly it's hard to grasp everything he's talking about. But he's given, um, in, in some way, from a Christian perspective not not necessarily from a Christian perspective, but from a scientific perspective of mathematics of of the trend of the future and where we're headed, and it is definitely to a to a new way of life. And so that parallels what our ladies told you: I lead you to a new time, a new way of life. And it's pretty interesting that he comes up through this, through mathematics and through, through methods that have nothing to do with the message. So you're seeing this where our lady says, I want to send you mes- messages. So we see what's coming is the end of life as we know it. This is going to happen. And yet we cling to life as it is, trying to make that work for us. And it's not secure. It, and it never will be was secure. Our lady said March eighteenth, 1997. In the heart of the one where only my son reigns, that one knows what peace and security is. Even Christians we're talking to on a daily basis are very insecure. And and again, it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or you're powerful or in a position you're in or not. Either one of those two, with, you know, with just a meek little job somewhere or, or you're not even with work everybody's insecure with the future. And so Our Lady is trying to change this way of life because the life as we have it now is going to change. And I think you're going to agree with this when you hear Dr. Swenson.
4: Uh, Tell us what a futurist is. Well, a futurist is somebody who looks back maybe 10, 15 years, looks forward maybe 10, 15 years, and is able to integrate not only longitudinally all of the things that you see in that sweep of history, but also horizontally across the stage of the world today. Uh, So you have to do a lot of work of integration if you want to have accuracy as a futurist. Uh, predicting the future is a difficult proposition. There's, there's a lot of futurists that have been rung up the day after the world was supposed to end and ask what they want for breakfast. And, uh, you know, that's obviously a humbling thing. So, uh, but it also is a very fascinating time to be a futurist. So much is happening on the world stage more than ever before. We live in a special moment in history it 's a privilege time, I think, for the church in many regards god 's given us incredible ministry opportunities that uh, shouldn 't be denied or neglected, and uh, to understand where the world is going so we can anticipate it and meet it there and be positioned to confront the issues that are in front of us is is a real privilege as well as a challenge. Uh, do you really believe that we 're approaching the end of the age? I do. Uh, I don't put a date to that. It might be next week. It might be this afternoon. It might be a 100 years out. Uh, When we look at the trends that are explained here and the way that these trends are linked and the the radical dynamic of exponential change, the way that power and money and technology and, and information and communications are increasing so rapidly, It would be amazing to me if we would be able to escape the consequences of this more than 100 years. But more than setting a date or specifics along that, what I'm emphasizing is a process. It's a process. It's out there. It's on the world stage. It is very powerful. It seems to be irreversible. It's compelling. It's binding. And we have to understand it and then confront it and figure out what it means for the Church, for our individual personal lives, and so on, part of the Christian legacy is that we believe that uh, history uh, is leading up to something as opposed to the secular view that uh, where there 's just cycles that keep endlessly repeating themselves, which uh, is what a lot of Eastern uh, religions believe in but uh, i believe there is a culmination of history that is talked about in scripture i don't know exactly when we're told not to set specific dates about that only god himself knows c.s lewis even wrote about this and he says i don't know when god's going to bring down the curtain and precisely because i don't know i'm not going to give the almighty my advice about when He ought to do it but because we can't know we ought to be ready for that at any time whether it's now whether it's 100 years from now if it's 250 years from now it just seems to me then it's closer than it's ever been.
5: Well, Jesus himself said that we could take a lesson from the fig tree. In other words, you can look at the signs right. and get a notion of where we are in the uh, history of mankind. And there's signs all up They're and down, down. there, fig trees all over the trees, place, over the place. <laughs>
4: absolutely. Now, you've
5: got a title here, hurtling Toward Oblivion. That does sound a little apocalyptic. Uh, you don't like that title. I mean, is that okay to say? I don't know if your publisher is going to like that. Well,
4: it's It's a little overly dramatic. It wasn't my first choice, for sure, because I didn't want to be marketing sensationalism. I didn't want to be accused of that. I believe this is a scholarly work. It's a trends-based piece of research. It actually is not a piece of eschatology. In some ways, it borders on that, for sure, but uh, it it looks at uh, trends that come out of my futurism work, and I wanted to promote this thesis to make people think deeply about it, and Curling toward oblivion sounds like it's just uh, awfully, um, awfully dramatic, perhaps bordering on sensational. Next week,
5: kind of thing. Yeah, yeah.
4: And, and so I was afraid that people would uh, misinterpret my intentions by looking at that. But it's the title that we have, and quite honestly, if you ask me, is that. Uh, In in the final uh, counting of things, is that an accurate title? Yes, that is actually (laughs) an accurate title. It is the process that I'm uh, explaining in this book. I've been a futurist since 1982. I've been uh, looking at trends. I've collected at least 50 or 80 trends, depending on how many you consolidate, uh, that are propelling the world system in the direction it's going. And one day I was driving down the interstate in Wisconsin. beautiful interstate. The sky was blue. I was looking for deer on the edge of the woods. I was just having a good time driving down the road, but my brain is often a poorly controlled explosion, and it was doing stuff that I didn't ask it to do. It was sequencing some of these trends, and all of a sudden, when the light went on, I had to put the brakes on. I had to pull to the side of the road. I had to open my glove box and get a piece of paper <laughs> out and write as fast as I could because I said, uh, "I don't want this to disappear in, in some kind." Kind of a poof before I can get it recorded, if this trend is true, and this trend is true, and this trend is true, and this, and this, and this, and, this and they're linked in the way that they appear to be linked, this has very serious consequences for the world system. That happened four or five years before the book came out because I wanted to sort of sit on it for a while Mm -hmm. and see if I really still felt that it was compelling and binding and true. Everything that I see developing across the world stage now convinces me this is exactly and precisely true.
5: Well, let's go for it. What are some of the forces that could create havoc here on Earth?
4: Uh, None of these are uh, particularly novel or dramatic or controversial, I think, in and of themselves. But when we link them together, I I think people will see the drama emerge there. The first one is what I call profusion. Uh, Profusion is the generalized phenomenon of more. If I had to assign one word that described modern living, it would perhaps be the word more. Where does more come from? I mean, everybody wants more. They want more and more of everything faster and faster. All the countries in the world want more. Every individual in America wants more. This is our definition of happiness, more than I have now. It's a wrong definition (laughs) of happiness. But uh, progress has given us that, and progress works by differentiation. For example, if you... Ask progress to cut down a tree and differentiate the tree to make baseball bats and fruit bowls and tables out of the tree. If you ask progress to differentiate the tablecloth, it would make uh, hankies and shirts and socks and hats. And that's precisely how progress works by differentiation and then proliferation to whatever the market could will bear. As a result of that, we always have more. Progress goes just in that direction, always in the direction of more. It can't give us less and less of everything slower and slower. That's called regress, not progress, and nobody wants that. So you see a very powerful trend, more and more, faster and faster. It is what I call the phenomenon of profusion, not very controversial. There's more golf balls. There's more overhead projectors. There's more airplanes. There's more satellite dishes and web pages, and that's a very powerful trend that you could uh, trace for 2,000 years.
5: Now, so what? How does having more threaten the future of humanity?
4: It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, but we'll get there. Okay, profusion is, um, if people agree that this phenomenon of profusion is real, then we'll we'll go on to the next step. The next step is irreversibility. If you were to graph this profusion curve, for example, if you were able to come up with what's called a profusion number, Add everything together on the world stage and assign it a number. Probably only God could do that. But there is a number that could be given. Every single thing that you can possibly imagine. Every piece of paper, every hotel, every missile, every catalog, every ice cream cone. Uh, Don't forget anything. Every kernel of rice that's consumed in China. All the people, all the highways and uh, assign that a number, call that the profusion number. Now, graph that over 2,000 years. You would find that it always goes up. The only time it stops is during a plague or a depression or a continental war. It stops temporarily, and then it goes yeah. right back up again. So this is, there's an irreversibility about this. There's several reasons it's irreversible. Number one, our economy is dependent on profusion sure. giving us more and more faster and faster. And and nobody wants our economy to fall apart. That doesn't have bipartisan support. So if progress stopped giving us more, our economy would fall apart. The second thing is we're addicted to it. We're really habituated strongly to progress and wanting more. And uh, you take television and the NFL away from America, and we're gone in a month. So we're, we're very uh, addicted to progress and getting more. And the third thing is there is an involuntary retention of of things that causes this irreversibility. Uh, for example, Uh, once atomic bombs are discovered, you can't undiscover them. Once something is learned or known or published, you can't retract that. So you climb up on the next rung above the one you're climbing on now, and you don't realize that the rung below you has disappeared. We can't go back down into a previous state of innocence because that state, in a sense, has disappeared. What's on a new stage, we have to now learn how to deal with it. And there is an irresistibility to this forward progress. Yeah, very hard to, very hard to resist that, very hard to uh, put the brakes on that or to annihilate the things that have been invented or discovered. Uh, there is a memory bank that exists in the world stage. Once things appear there, now you have to deal with that and confront that. Um, the ability to make saran gas, well, uh, that, that didn't benefit the world. But, I mean, we... People know how to do that, and so now we have to figure out how to blunt that ability to make saran gas. Uh, Nuclear weapons, I've already mentioned, so many things. Television, very difficult to all of a sudden push the delete button and forget about television. All right, now we started
5: with profusion. Then more and more and more and more in every area of life. And then we go from there to the irreversibility of that.
4: And then we go to exponential change. Exponential change. This is a very important part. And most people uh, know a little bit about exponentiality. The, the trouble is they're underestimating exponentiality. Uh, and I want to get in a little bit to some of the math related to this. But if you were to graph the perfusion number from zero to the present. In other words, everything that existed in the world stage on that particular day, and you go all the way back for two thousand years and graph this, you would find a very interesting curve. The curve would remain flat all the way up to about 1950 or 1975, and then it'd take a right angle turn and go straight up, uh, fast as the speed of light, fast as a, as a rocket blast. Now, uh, people say, "No, wait a minute. There was some profusion in the year." 500 and 1,000 and 1,500. Indeed, there was perfusion then. But maybe you had a million units in the year zero, and then you had 100 million units in the year 500, and then you got up to a billion units. But currently we have a trillion, 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 trillion units of perfusion. Very dramatic stuff is happening in our generational shift. And that remarkable perfusion number of today will push all of those other numbers down into a flat line. And so if you look at the perfusion number graphed over time, you would see an exponential graph in the extreme. The reason exponentiality is important to point out here, when things are changing that dramatically, our intuition is always behind the curve in understanding that. If you took a piece of paper and folded it in half 40 times, you'll go from here to the moon. If you fold it in half a hundred times, it would go from here to the far side of the universe, 15 billion light years out there. One piece of paper, folded it 100 times. I can fold a piece of paper every three seconds. In five minutes, mm-hmm. I can fold it 100 times. I, actually, a piece of paper can't be folded more than seven times. But assuming that it could. You take the Pacific Ocean as another illustration. It's 63 million square miles. It is so big you can fit all the continents of the world in the Pacific Ocean, still have room for another Asia. It averages 14,000 feet deep. If you dried up the Pacific Ocean and started with one drop and doubled the drop, after 80 drops, the Pacific Ocean would be refilled. On the 70th double, it's only one one-thousandth of the way full. On the 79th double, it's only one-half full. And then boom. Yeah. And that's what happens in exponentiality. Things kind of muddle along, and they're going along, and they're going along, and they're going along, and all of a sudden, boom. You have this example of it
5: in your book. Uh, whenever Adam and Eve were created in the garden, you know, if that were zero point for humanity as it is all the way up to the time of Christ, and then 1,800 years beyond that to A.D. 1800, it took that long to reach 1 billion people on the face of the earth. It took 130 years for the second billion. It took just 30 years for the third billion, and 15 years for the fourth billion, and 12 years for the fifth billion, and 11 years for the sixth billion, and the 7th billion is now on the way. Is, is that what
4: you're talking about? Precisely. And there's another way of looking at it. There's many ways to look at this. There's a, a science writer who's an inventor who's a futurist about technology. And he says in the next 100 years, we are going to uh, undergo 20,000 years of progress. Things are going so fast now, this escalation in exponentiality, that uh, things are moving at the speed of light. Very dramatic changes we're seeing because of exponentiality. That's the nature of things. And so if something cataclysmic goes wrong with the world uh, system, it would be my prediction that... We might not have a lot of lead time. We might, but there's a possibility that things could cascade out of control very rapidly. Somebody once asked Hemiway, how do you go bankrupt? And he says, first gradually, then suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we have to worry about that uh, because of this mathematical phenomenon of exponentiality, which has taken hold. All
5: right, now link these concepts together because people have to hold that in their minds okay.
4: as they see where you're going. First profusion, more and more of everything, faster and faster. People want that. People aren't opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that. I think it's a biblical mandate in many ways. More and more, faster and faster. Then to think that it's irreversible, we can't put the brakes on, we can't back up, our economy would fall apart, people would be unwilling to tolerate that, so there's an irreversibility about this, and the curve is an exponential curve, and when you get an exponential curve, drama happens very, very suddenly, and things, uh, unanticipated consequences can cascade out of control very rapidly, and we're kind of mathematically at that kind of point right now. The next step in here is people would say this, uh, totally appropriate, they'd say, but Dick, The good is better than the bad. If you pile up all the good, it's a hundred times more than the pile of the bad. If you were to measure the distance, maybe it's a hundred times, maybe it's a thousand times better than the bad. You're just acting like a pessimist, and are you resenting the fact that we have all this progress? That's a good point, and it's an appropriate question for people to ask me with regard to this. And I would say, you're right, the good is better than the bad. But you have to assign fallenness to this exponential curve. And you have to understand that when you factor fallenness in to profusion curve, everything that shows up on that curve has some dimension of fallenness associated with it, either potentially or actually. For example, let's take a look at some individual things, Uh, toothpicks. Toothpicks are benign. They're innocent. They're simple. A billion people use them every day. But you know what? There's a this defect applied to toothpicks. Sometimes people are using them for, to do what toothpicks do, and they seed their bloodstream with some bacteria, and the, the bacteria goes to their heart valves, and they get intercarditis, and they get sick. Some people swallow toothpicks. There's a whole medical article about the, the problems with te- swallowed toothpicks, and they perforate the intestine, and people get peritonitis. I saw somebody in the emergency once. They were walking barefoot in their house, and they hit a toothpick in their rug, and it buried itself totally in their foot, and I had to go in there and search and pull the toothpick out. So a toothpick isn't completely innocent. Uh, look at penicillin. Penicillin is a wonderful thing; it saved tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives. But there's also adverse reactions to penicillin. Lots of adverse reactions. Some people, even with uh, anaphylactic reactions, will even die related to that. And there's uh, some bacteria develop resistance related to that. So that's the fallness defect related to penicillin. And, you know, it's probably the only Christian doctrine that I'm applying, actually, in this book, which otherwise is just trends-based research, but G.K. Chesterton says uh, fallenness is the one Christian doctrine that's empirically provable. You don't have to be a spiritually-minded person to recognize there's a flaw out there in the world system, and things go wrong, and things go wrong all the time, so to account for that, you can call it the flaw if you want to, we would call it fallenness. This is not a perfect world. A perfect world will be coming when God comes to set everything right, and I can't wait for that. but meantime, we have to deal with these flaws that are um, maddeningly persistent in our lives. A car drives down the road and a tire blows, and you know, three people hit a telephone post and and are killed. And there was no malice there. There's no mischief. There was no evil, except a natural evil that has to do with fallenness. All right now, let's link that together with the other three. So you have this exponential curve, more and more, faster and faster, very dramatic in terms of the math involved. But you have to factor a certain percentage of that is given. To fallenness. And now we're back to where people will say, yes, but Dick, still the good is going faster than the bad. If you were to break this great big exponential curve into two curves, two subcurves, the curve of all the good and then the curve of the fallenness, the curve of the implications of the bad, the curve of the good would be a hundred times or a thousand times greater. That's precisely correct, but it should not lull us into too much complacency because if the bad is bad enough, There has to be a separate accounting between the bad and the good. If the bad is bad enough, it will doom the entire system no matter how good the good is. This is a standard uh, trick that people fall into, particularly futurists or other people looking toward the future, that an accounting error that they will make is to say, well, if the good is better than the bad, you subtract the bad from the good. If we have a positive net, then we're okay, and we can go in that direction. If the bad is bad enough, it'll doom the entire system. For example, you go to your mailbox, and you have 10 pieces of mail there. And the first nine pieces of mail are great. Uh, one says your book was published, you know, was accepted by a, a great publisher. Another says you won the, clear, the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes for $10 million. Another one says your child was accepted with a full-ride scholarship to prestigious university. And you go on and on. Nine pieces of wonderful mail. The last piece of mail comes from the public health department. It says you're HIV positive from an inadvertent needle stick. Mm -hmm. Now, the good outnumbered the bad 9 to 1. Does that mean you're better off? Not exactly. We have a wonderful fishing lake in our town. It's just a little lake. It's picturesque. I could do 20 things to improve the fish habitat there. But if one tank truck goes over the bridge on the north side of the lake, blows a tire, falls over into the lake, spills all its gasoline in the lake, all the fish will die. And there's only one thing that went wrong, but I improved the fish habitat with 20 things. I was really very. Um, You've got a bank president who has a great house, a great family, a six or seven figure salary, in an indoor swimming pool, but a robber comes in the middle of the night and shoots him dead. Uh, If people can see where I'm going with this, you have to account the bad independently and negatively. So with exponential change uh, comes
5: the potential for more fallenness, even though it's a smaller percentage. Precisely. But it still has the potential of destroying everything else.
4: Both of these curves are growing very rapidly, and people look at that progress. I mean, progress has put on a tremendous parade that's dazzled us all. We've got space shuttles and supercomputers and all kinds of things. We've got the healthcare system and the educational system. We've got just some amazing things that progress has given us, and we should be grateful for those things. And so we think we're insulated and protected. But meanwhile, in the shadows, fallenness is assembling its own parade, and we need to look very seriously about the implications related to that. Because fallenness will come out of the shadows when it has enough power and it is increasing exponentially too. Slower than the positive is, but it is increasing that second curve of all the bad, all the negative, all the fallenness is increasing exponentially too. And so we have to look at the implications related to that. There are many ways that this could exact a toll on the world system. Weapons of mass destruction. There's the new things, the robotics and the nanotechnology and the genomics, and uh, there's lots of issues that could be brought up. It's predicted we'll have infinite energy by the year 2050 through nuclear fusion. What is fallenness going to do with infinite energy? Think seriously about some of these issues. What people fail to do is they fail to take it far enough out. Take it far enough out. Be sure to factor in all the technology, all the exponentiality, and all the fallenness. And sooner or later, you see that smaller numbers of people, smaller and smaller and smaller numbers of people, have more and more ability to exact damage on the world system. And so it used to be it's just the United States and Russia, but now there's a lot of rogue nations. There's a lot of terrorist organizations. There's a lot of even the Unabomber kind of people who before only had pipe bombs what happens when they have antimatter at their disposal? If you just take a raisin, a raisin has enough, in its mass converted to energy, has enough energy to provide all the electrical needs of New York City for one day. A raisin. Now, if we can get antimatter the size of that, what would fallenness do with that? And that's basically my question. I'm not trying to depress people. I'm just trying to alert people. <laughs> Science is going very fast right now, and I'm not sure we have the wisdom to figure out how to direct this or slow it down or control it when we need to. If you do a curve of this, it is an exponential curve. Uh, that's a very dramatic curve that's first flat and uh, on the baseline and then goes straight up like a rocket blast, if you can visualize that. Um, And I believe that this curve and this process of progress giving us more and more, which I call profusion, is an irreversible thing. And most people treat it as a good thing. We want more progress. We want more of all of these things. So you have progress giving us more. It's irreversible. It's exponential in the way that it's developing, and that's very dramatic stuff. Uh, But you also have to factor in fallenness. A lot of futurists forget to factor in fallenness. With everything that's invented, with everything that appears on the world stage, there's a fallenness defect associated with it. There's either some potential flaw or actual flaw that kind of is a monkey wrench in the system, something that sort of uh, causes our day not to flow right, you know, problems that erupt all the time. And that fallenness is familiar to Christians and even to non-Christians that things just don't go perfectly. It's sort of Murphy's Law, I guess, applied to everything. And so once you factor in fallenness and realize that progress is giving us more technology, more information, more weaponry, more communications, more mobility, more people, more money, because money is fueling a lot of this as well, at exponential rates, and you factor in fallenness to that, then that fallenness, when you examine it, has the ability now to exact more damage than it used to have. We have given fuel to fallenness in a sense. We've put weapons in the hands of our fallenness. Now, the good still outdistances the bad. I completely agree with that. Maybe a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. We ought to be grateful for that, that the good of progress outdistances and outweighs the bad. But this fallenness and this little sub-parade that fallenness is assembling here is something we have to look at separately and account separately. Because once it's bad enough, it will exact Major damage, cataclysmic damage on the world stage. All right,
5: let's talk about what you call the threshold of lethality uh, in your book. Uh, Describe some of those um, possibilities that could uh, lead to disaster.
0: The threshold of lethality, I
4: think, is one of the contributions that I make in this book to future studies that, uh, that from anybody who reads this, the light will turn on in their head if they're a futurist. And I say, you know, that is true. We've got to take that seriously. Let's just look at cancer, for example. Cancer starts with like, one cell. You have 100 trillion cells in your body. One cell decides it's going to get a little weird, and it, it keeps replicating faster and faster, and pretty soon you've got a whole bunch of cells that are just in a subclinical state, and then they start developing some symptoms and you have some symptoms related to that. But as this cancer develops, it doesn't have to kill off all the organ systems of the body at the same time. Um, For example, if it's in your liver, all it has to do is choke off the functioning of the liver. You can have a great brain, you can have a great heart, great lungs, you can have great legs, you can have good kidneys, but you can't live without your liver. And so the threshold of lethality is when fallness reaches a certain line, which I define as the threshold of lethality, then that automatically trumps progress. I don't care how much progress you have. It makes no difference how much progress you have. For example, when the World Trade Towers was bombed several years back, If they instead had used a nuclear weapon, and the Pentagon all agrees that the time will come when nuclear weapons will be used, probably even within our borders. But if they had a suitcase with a nuclear weapon, it would have vaporized three square miles of Manhattan Island. Now, what is to stop that from happening down the road? Take it far enough out, take the technology far enough out, give people more and more money. Osama bin Laden right now has control of, they say, a billion dollars. That can buy a lot of damage. And the trend lines are all going in this direction, where fewer and fewer people have control of more and more technology, more and more computer power, more and more money, and mobility – And so they can do nefarious things. But it isn't just rogue uh, people and rogue nations and individual players, there's other uh, scientific. Uh, trends like nanotechnology or robotics or genomics are three that have been uh, talked about quite a bit uh, recently in the news. And uh, we could go into those if you want to. I don't know how interested just, you are. Just here. very quickly, give me the definition of those. Uh, well, robotics, things. for example. The, uh, probably in the year 2020, robots will be smarter than humans for the first time. Right now, IBM just came up with a, a computer that does 12 trillion computations per second. It's still 1,000 times slower than the human brain. Okay, they're, But they're gaining. Has. They're up to a mouse right now. Uh, it weighs 105 tons and fills two NBA basketball stadiums. But you know, and the human brain is three pounds. So God did a good thing when He put the brain together. But there, again, every year uh, they, they make computing power that's faster and faster and more powerful. And by the year 2020, uh, they will equal the human brain. And so there are serious scientists, I I feel not Christians, but serious scientists who are talking about post-human species. When the robots get smarter than we are, more powerful than we are, the only way that we will be able to then survive is merging with robotic species. And they're talking about post-human species. This is not any longer science fiction. This is stuff that serious people are looking at. They're looking at a utopian future that will start probably in 2030, 2040, 2050, where we will be doing this, and we will then be able to evolve in amazing ways. Nanotechnology is another thing. Nanotechnology deals with individual atoms. Um, A cell has a trillion atoms in it, a human cell has a trillion atoms in it, and cells manipulate molecules and then atoms. Well, nanotechnology build a little nanobot, a little, little tiny robot, maybe about the size of a cell, and it figures out how to take the carbon atoms and stack them next to each other, okay? Now, if you can do that with carbon atoms, you can make windows out of diamonds, and it'll cost you five cents. And so people are excited about nanobots that in nanotechnology, even in health applications, But the problem is you've got a nanobot and you've taught it how to do this. You need more than one nanobot. You need lots of nanobots to put them to work on this. So you make nanobots self-replicating. And this is precisely the problem related to this. Well, what if you don't build in a stop for their replication? By tomorrow noon, the entire globe will be needing nanobots. This is not our imagination. This is not fantasy. This is not science fiction. This is real stuff that scientists are thinking about. See, this isn't rogue terrorists that we're talking about, like the weapons of mass destruction perhaps would be, but this is science that people are anxiously trying to make happen because you, if you could successfully come up with nanobots, you could make a trillion dollars for your company using nanobots. And so there's a lot of gas being thrown on this fire. But it's worrisome if you take these implications out far enough and factor in this. So that we've got a lot coming down the road very quickly. I've been at the Pentagon several times. I've been in a national security seminar for a week. I know what they're thinking, the futurists there in the military that are looking at uh, you know the year 2010 and what's coming down the road. They're worried about weapons of mass destruction in terms of nuclearization. Uh, they are worried about um, chemical weapons and about biological weapons like anthrax and so on. And sooner or later, these things are indeed going to happen. It will be very, very difficult for us to, to stop them. We saw India and Pakistan exploding a couple years ago, and that was a, a worrisome development. Beyond that, there could be eco-catastrophes. There could be things that happen in the environment uh, that, um, that we didn't anticipate were going to happen, but indeed they did. There could be infectious pandemics um, either uh, a terrorist type of thing or um, just something that that happens in a more natural vein. For example, if smallpox comes back out again, and a lot of people now do not have any resistance to that, uh, there are 10 million people per day that cross international boundaries, and any bug known to humankind can jump inside a human host. That person can get on a plane and fly anywhere in the world during the incubation period of that disease. And so infectious pandemics are a real concern. In 1918, there were 20 million people worldwide that died of influenza. Uh, So we could have something related to anthrax or Ebola or smallpox or even a very virulent strain of influenza. And I don't want to stake my reputation or my sanity on any one of these. I'm just saying that the conditions today are different, and they are kind of ripe for these things exacting turmoil. And I don't live in despair, and I don't sit around and worry about these things. I do think deeply about them, but then I come back to the fact that God is God. God is God, and he knows what's going on, and nothing takes him by surprise, and he's more powerful by infinity than any of these things that are threatening us. And so that's a good place to park your security, and I do that all the time, and it helps me so much. I do not know how can we how we as a country, as a nation, as a world system, can avoid the consequences of the things that I've uh, that I've spelled out, I have thought about this for five or six years now. I've looked at it from every possible angle. I say, where's the loophole? Where's the escape hatch? John Updike says, what we need is progress with an escape hatch. <laughs> and he's about right on that. But we, there's no escape hatch that I can see, uh, short of the sovereignty of God himself. God himself intervening and saying, I'm not going to let this uh, proceed in the direction it appears to be going. Um, And so we need to be seriously looking at the science related to this and be sure to factor in exponentiality. But it also has a tremendous um, implication for the theology of us in our personal lives, trusting God more, being more dependent, getting rid of our fear because God says, get rid of your fear. I am here. I am here and I am able. This is not a game uh, I'm real, I know all about your life, and uh, you need to put your hand in my hand, and trust me, I will get you through this, and we'll talk again on the other side. You'll find out that everything is all right. What does God have prepared for us? It's just things beyond our seeing, things beyond our hearing, things beyond our very imagining for what God has in store for those who love Him. So this is just a vapor. This is just a vapor. It's just a, it's just a breath. Uh, scripture says. And so we just have to hang on, do it right, for vapor's length of time, then we're home for eternity, we can celebrate, and there'll be so much to celebrate.
2: So that was the interview with James Dobson, of course, who's focused on the family, his wonderful ministry, and through the years he brought different topics to, um, actually to the whole world he's broadcasting to, and along with Dr. Swenson. And uh, his book, Hurtling to Total Oblivion, is fascinating. Uh, it reveals things that Uh, correlate on another I put it on the other side versus not verses, but on the other side of paralleling these messages and what we've been following for decades with her apparitions Uh, she's been preparing us for something uh, an unknown future at the same time telling us not to be in fear but but at the same time she wants us to have wisdom wants us to be wise in what we do and so this is fascinating in the sense that he correlates a lot of things as a futurist with what Our Lady actually is doing herself. And on March 25th, 1990, Our Lady says, God wants to save you and send you messages through men, and nature and so many things which can only help you to understand that you must change the direction of your life. We quote this message a lot. But note the last words, that you must change the direction of your life. On May 25th, 1990, Our Lady says, To children, God blesses you day after day which is through her apparitions each day, and then she says, and desires a change of your life. Why? You just heard what Dr. Swenson was talking about. We're about to go through that catastrophic change of life. If that's taking place, and you had a mother, why would she not come to tell you to prepare yourself and change your life, change your direction? That's exactly what she said January 25th, 1987. Behold, as of today, start living a new life as of today. That's how she said it, exactly quote. So, do you think she knows something we don't? Or after listening to this interview, do you think now that you know more of what maybe we should be th- deep, deeper in thought? Uh, Christians are, are very shallow in that th- They're not deep thinkers now. There's no profoundness. It's like Maria's interview we played Monday when I had a conversation with her. Uh, she says that the Pope is very simple, but he's very deep theologically. Our lady never talks about theology, but these messages are very deep theologically. And yet, Maria talked about the priest says, I don't understand. She comes every day. These are too simple. Because God is simple, and he's got a simple way. You have him in his heart, his future, his direction, and he'll take care of the rest. Because the complications, the severity severity of which we're headed to in the future is so complicated and so difficult, there's no passage through it. It's impossible. If you're going to stay hooked into the system as it is, if you're going to keep your economic situation the same as it is, if you're going to continue on this path, then you're going to fall with it. Because the fallness Dr. Swinson's talking about, is coming. Our Lady's not coming in 28 years without telling us something is about to happen. It's very clear. And she says there's three secrets coming. So it's very evident that all these things that's coming to pass is peaking and what he said 20,000 years of of, uh, advancement in technology just by, what, the year 2020? Uh, That's how much things are going to – the rapid speed of which it is – you know, you often hear people talk about computers. Used to one man design that computer and one man can run it. Now one man runs it, but there's 20,000 people behind it that have invented it, and there's no way you can – learn everything about the computers. That's why it's so complicated. We're having to look at our new programs, just our entry programs, when people ask for a booklet or something or we spend, send them spiritual material. And and um, the new programming won't work on what we need to do, upgrade to, but the the systems that's available are so complicated. Our system is very simple, very fast. But, but so many different people have put too much technology to it that as an individual sitting in front of the computer... We can't master that. It's just too much. So erasing, hurling toward these, these walls and this destruction so rapidly that we can't do it. But a lady just doesn't say change, your, change the direction of your life uh, or that gives about these messages and signs in nature that uh, help you understand you must change the direction of your life. She said on May twenty fifth, 1990 that God blesses you every day and desires to change your life. Therefore, pray that you have the strength to change your life. Not to change your life, just pray for the strength to. Why? Because you are enslaved and hooked and shackled into this economic system, and you can't get out of it. And you're trying to rescue yourself along with the rest of the world, along with everything that we do, and trying to come to that point and, and, uh, and make this thing work. Don't you see it doesn't work and it's going away? It's going to crash?
1: Um, My impression as I was listening to this just tonight, and this is probably my Third time hearing this interview, and
2: uh, no, 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 how many times I've told you about it? Well,
1: that's true.
2: <laughs> for the last and three I, And
1: I do sympathize with all those that have heard this for the first time and their head spinning, and you don't quite know what he was all speaking about. So I do uh, also encourage you just to go back and re-listen and re-listen to really get this into you to understand this more fully. But um, I think I, I thought of the message where a lady said, "You know, materialism is an evil spirit." And my impression is that Satan has us on this very fast train right now, that we are speeding speeding forward. And he, uh, Our Lady had also said that Satan knows he's running out of time, that with the apparitions, with Our Lady's entrance into the world, that he knows he's running out of time. And so he has got us on such a fast track to get us to this point of what um dr swenson was speaking about but i also remember you speaking i don't know if this was um the preacher that was that you grew up with in your neighborhood or another preacher you're speaking with about and this was years and years ago i know that you talked with this man and um about america's future and uh it struck you when he said this that, that this preacher was praying for america to go down on its knees, but, but he said that his prayer was that God would gently bring America down on its knees. My question to you is, even in the face of all that we're facing and all of this information, and do you, do you think this prayer is, is being answered, that even with all of this, that God is still bringing America <clears throat> gently to its knees?
2: Yes and no, because Our Lady is that answer to gently bring us on her knees, because she says there's no fear, you should not be afraid, you shouldn't be in fear. If you do what she says, if you do the, the, live the message, uh, she says, I'm with you. Well, she said on uh, January 25th, 2001... Um, she says, once again, I repeat to you, only through prayer and fasting also wars can be stopped. Wars of your unbelief and fear of the, for the future. I am with you and I'm teaching you, little children, your peace and your hope are in God. So for those of us that, that incorporate these messages into us, we can go through this fear. So it's not that we won't have fear for others. I have fear for other people. I'm concerned for other people. That's why we do what we do as missionaries here. That's why we're outreaching and that's why we spend the effort and the time to do what we do to, to, to and say strong things. Uh, We're not worried about offending people. We want to convict them. You need to wake up. You need to realize what you have is not going to save you. What you have in your heart, Jesus Christ, will save you. What you have in your heart, Our Lady's making heart, will save you. Nothing else will. No power, no money, no position. It can't be. It won't be. So Our Lady gives us something incredible through this. And just telling us to change our life and our direction of life because the direction of life as we know it will end as we know it. We are not going to continue this civilization as it is now that we have lived for decades and even the last 200 years. This is not going to continue. I can say that prophetically through the study of the message. You can say it's, it's, it's Only a prophet could say that. Say whatever you want to say. It will not happen. It's not going to happen. And that's why there's such an investment of heaven into our life, both economically, spiritually, physically, our work-wise, our our family relationships, our, our churches. There's an investment of heaven through the Virgin Mary coming every single day because there's something catastrophic about to happen. Not doom and gloom, but in the change of life for the better. For hope is coming.
3: It was an event you didn't hear of, never a warning given, never reported in the headlines. August 2nd, 1981, a declaration of war. The Virgin Mary appeared at an obscure threshing floor in a corner of the world in an unknown village called Mejigoria. The Virgin told us that a great struggle was about to unfold between her son and Satan, and that human souls were at stake. All the while, the world moved forward into a war it didn't know was begun. You, between two sides, her son and Satan, heaven and hell, earth the battleground. The time of separation was started. On which side shall you be? Entering a new time, a booklet by a friend of Mejigoria Timeless in its message, important in its direction. Entering a new time from Caritas of Birmingham. Order on medj.com, spelled M-E-J dot com. And click on MEGMART Or call in the U.S. 205-672-2000. 205-672-2000. Entering a new time by a friend of Medjugorje, available from Caritas of Birmingham.
0: You're listening to Radio Wave with a friend of Medjugorje.
2: You know, you may be wondering if we're going to get into economics. We are. We're going to head there. But there's so much to cover on this ground to show you that everything uh, in life is tied to that. And and um, we tend to think of sin, as I said earlier in the show, of of the things that happen with that, and evil and evil wickedness as uh, the problems. But, you know, the Antichrist, again, his whole reign is economics. Our Lady's first things to the village was a warning to read this Matthew 6. So uh, economics uh, is very much part of what's going to be in the future. And how should we position ourselves? Dr. Swenson said something um, in his book that uh, some of the triggering issues of this catastrophic change and things that may take place uh, is definitely economics. It's, It's impossible for that not to be integrated into it. But his book he wrote 10 years ago, and in that he writes, uh, this is the book, Hurt uh, Until Living." So this is wrote in 1999, and it's amazing that uh, we were we were flourishing at that point. Uh, we got vendors were coming in looking at the equipment for the retooling of the tabernacle, and they were just saying just two and a half years ago how we they their companies had never done what they did in their history. Some of these companies are in Germany over a hundred years old, and they said they don't know if they don't think they'll ever see that again. So we peeked out. But here it is in the midst of this and headed toward this great advancement of the economics that he wrote this 10 years ago when there was no, nothing to be foreseen. We saw it because we were looking at the messages. You may have seen it if you've been in prayer. Those who don't were invested in thinking that we can, we're going to just go like there's no tomorrow. But he writes in his book, who can doubt that if we've experienced a terminal event, economics will be found somewhere in the middle of the final scrimmage. Electronic money is flying around the globe like mad, and the resulting levels of vitality are custom-made for crisis. International relations specialist Walter Russell Mead explains how it, has been, how it has been our express policy to make economic activity flow faster and unfettered. Yet he warns, quote, the faster capitalism grows, the more dangerous it gets. His sober prediction about our current dangerous state of international economic flight. It does not, frankly, take a rocket scientist to predict that this will all end up in tears. We're there. Two, and a, two years ago it happened, or a year and a half ago. He's writing out and he's quoting this Russell Mead guy, and they're saying this is going to end up in tears. And a lot of people lost their fortunes, or 80% of it, or, or their job now. And so this was prophetic. Why? Because they saw the trends. This gives him credibility for what he, everything else he writes. He goes on and says, Global economic integration leads to tight coupling, a condition of extreme interdependence where linkages are inseparably connected. And tight coupling leads to falling, to falling dominoes. And you all play dominoes. You know the tighter you get, the more they're going to fall. And if you're making a lot of dominoes, we've seen the kids do it, and I've done it, that if you bump one, You've got to hit catch them and knock some out. But how many stopgaps have we got where you can run and, and kick three of them out real quick before it knocks the whole 10 yards of dominoes you got up? And so we're so integrated that these stop gaps we got don't work. He goes on and says, As seizures pass through the world market at the speed of light, even experts have lost the ability to predict, and it is unnerving. This year's economic miracle turns out to be next year's economic diabolical. And nobody knows exactly why. The truly frightening part is how often these changes are not even considered in the room of plausibility. What happens in one part of the world eventually will eventually affect everything, explains Jeffrey Garden, dean of Yale School Management. But it might not be in the way we expect because the links are almost beyond human comprehension. This goes back to the nanobots. He didn't explain on there, but the, we looked at this several years ago, and it's basically making micro robots that can can literally re, reconfigure carbon to turn it into diamonds, and they actually build this for you. And And uh, when I first heard about it probably 10 years ago, it was almost disbelief, but they made great advances toward this, and he talks about the stop gap. You know, these things can, can cascade out of control, and so... Once we start these things, how do you stop it? Well, there's only one way, God to. And that's why our ladies asking us to pray and fast, because something's got to intervene on this, this system. And as the Tower of Babel was in something God saw man was advancing so fast and rapidly in civilization, Jesus might have had to be driving around in a four-wheeler by the time he came to the earth. Why? Because the technology was there to make automobiles. The laws of physics, the iron, the ore, the means, all this dynamics was there. The combustion, the oil, everything was there thousands of years ago. And so as a Tower of Babelist, I've never seen the Tower of Babel, just, just a tower into the heavens. It was, it was things that they're on the verge of advancing as a the civilization. They would have started maybe the Industrial Revolution back in 2000 uh, B.C., 4,000 years ago. And Jesus had to come the way he came. I mean, right now you've got Jesus came in this kind of technology that was two thousand years ago, and say, well, we can do that, or we can make that, or we can make electricity. Or you know, th- would he be able to do what he did in this technology technological time? Because doctors, what they do is mirac- miraculous. I had to get my wrist operated on a, on a year ago. and Many people know this, but they they insert that little uh, scopic surgery, and, and it's just incredible what they can do. It's miraculous. It really is miraculous. Why? Because it's using God's physics to do something that only God designed that it could be able to do that. But we see it as man. We see it as man to God, man. We don't see it as what Jesus did. So what would he do? So what kind of competition would he have? So the Tower of Babel was destroyed. And we can see now that lady's coming to show us that there is a catastrophic change in life that is coming. And she's warning us. She's telling us. And she's saying... To change your direction. First, change. pray to have the strength to change your life. You know, God's blessing you every day, and he desires a change in your life. He wants this. Why? For your own good, because you're his children, and he wants you to be poised and positioned in the right way. He wants you to be able to go forward in this way, that you won't be harmed by this uh, catastrophic change. When, it, when he decides, okay, time's up, Mary. You had your time. You called your people. And then we're on the other passage, that we're on the, the uh, other side of the apparitions. And Our Lady says, you're in the time of grace now. Use this time well. So there's decisions you need to be making. There's changes in your life that you need to be making. And you need to realize uh, what Medjugorje is really about. What does Our Lady come to do in this village? Um, the village where God gave to her. And... Uh, When you contemplate this and you wonder what and how this profound plan can come about, you have to look at Medjugorje and what she did in Medjugorje and why she did what she did in Medjugorje.
1: Well, that to me brings up a a point about profusion, which Dr. Swenson talked about that being the definition of more and more and more, that it just keeps building, doubling, doubling, doubling. Can you... um, does, does prayer work that way? That, that was my question in, in kind of looking at this. Is it, since it seems to be some kind of biblical mandate in the midst of all of this, that can we see this in the spiritual life? Can we see this working also in prayer life?
2: Yeah, of course. That's our Holy's plan is, is profusion. Uh, and again, to define what Dr. Swinson explained what profusion is, is more, you know, our lady came to this little village, uh, a little tiny village to, to change the world. How did she do it? She did it by getting in to pray five minutes a day, not three rosaries, just pray five minutes, just do the seven, seven, seven. Can you give me that? They gave it to her. When they gave it to her, she became, um, uh, um, uh, She was able to win for them a grace because the lady says, or she says, God blesses you every day. And, of course, her blessing every day is through that blessing, how God blesses us. They attain more grace to have a desire and greater desire to pray, which was a profusion of prayers. And you could say it was flatlined in the beginning days, early days, um, until the Thursday messages, and it went up a little bit. You had some, you know, maybe doubled. And then through the the, um, weekly messages every Thursday she gave, It jumped to the uh, January 8th, 1987. She said that now I'll give only monthly messages, which would come on the 25th, which right after that was the 25th, the first monthly message of the world. And she has continued since that time. And then she now has come up for the last two or three, several years with Mariana with the second month apparitions. And all this has gained momentum worldwide. The profusion of prayer is in contrast to the profusion of the technologies and things that happen. Not that technology is bad. We're using technology to reach you at this moment. It doesn't mean that this is going to be here for the future. In fact, we don't believe the internet's going to be here in the future. We don't believe a lot of what we're doing is in the future, but there's a seed here. Whether you're listening in New Zealand or in Africa or in Japan or somewhere across the United States, you know we, we have our medj.com site, medjgory.com, that you print things off as a seed. That When all this goes away, and we definitely believe it's going to go away, we have seeds planted all across the world. And so there is the, the movement is that way, and, and there will be this catastrophic change come. Uh, we're doing a retooling of the tabernacle. We may not get three years out of the equipment we're getting, but it's worth it. We're going to be able to produce millions of books. Each one of the books is going to lay on an end table, stored up in the attic. It's going to be somewhere in a hut or, or, or in Australia with, with um, you know, the Aborigines. We've seen them in Medjugorje. We've talked to them. Uh, Maria knows some of them. You know, and they're very primitive places to the, to the most ritier places, but the, these, the written word will be there when all the electronics and all this thing goes down, and I believe that's going to happen. To what degree, I don't know. But we definitely are headed for something catastrophic to change. You can't you can, have a car engine that's got 1,000 parts. One part that's intricate to that operation goes bad, and you got 999 parts that run. All. All those parts are no good to you. So this integration, the way this thing works, is very much the way it's going to happen. So to answer your question about this profusion of prayer, this our lady's parallel in the spiritual because she wants us to go back to this and to change the way we live. And so... Um, we, go ahead.
0: There was a uh, some, something that a friend of Medjugorje wrote. Uh, I believe it was about two, three years ago. And uh, we, for those of you that uh, received the... Those of you that are on the mail list and those of you that visited Medjugorje.com about tonight's show, we said that there would be a special uh, worldwide debut of an audio broadcast or an audio uh, production that was done. And uh, it specifically lays out pretty much exactly what we're saying right now as far as the profusion of Our Lady's messages and her coming to the world and what she's doing, what God is doing through her in the world. And it's very important that... um, it's uh it's it's very, very important that you pay very close attention to what's being said. Uh it's uh, this is a very, very deep uh deep writing. It's very thought provocative and it's very very important uh that uh when we play this in the next few minutes here that you pay very, very close attention to what's being said, especially in light of what was just spoken about.
2: Well, you know, often we are, I'm asked to write something for the school and that's what I wrote this for. And we never released it because um, I guess it hasn't been the appropriate time, but this is something that, that uh, actually is set on shelf, and, and uh, y'all brought the issue up last night, maybe we should play it for this show because it really shows the plan of Our Lady the profusion of just wanting a, a little bitty village and what happens in that little busy village and what she does with it, and then giving it back to God to the world, to conquer the world. And so um, it, it's something that that uh, when I write these short little things, I do a lot of prayer about it, and it just comes. And and it's so applicable to this time, even two, three years ago. Much more applicable now than when it was written.
6: She asked.
7: Give me a little village.
6: He said, Scour the earth. Choose the one you wish to favor above all the rest. She conquered it. She asked,
7: Send people to come to the village.
6: He said, Whatever you need, I will bring them from the furthest shores and faraway islands. She conquered the people. She asked,
7: Grant me authority to choose and bestow knighthood upon those who wish for it.
6: He said, I will not deny you. The conqueror chose and knighted them. She asked,
7: Send them back to their homes and villages.
6: He said, I will send them back to fill the earth. They conquered. She asked,
7: Let them consecrate their homelands and give them to me.
6: He said, You have their homes and villages to the most distant lands. She conquered the nations. She asked,
7: Grant me your love to fill the earth that a kingdom of love may reign
6: he said as the water fills the sea I will give to you
7: my king I give what is mine I give the nations to you
6: my queen I give the world to you she conquered the whole world through one little village.
1: You know, it's been probably over a year since I've heard this again. And to parallel this or to match it up with this whole interview is, is awesome. You really do see this whole parallel thing going on in a way that I hadn't really grasped before that and especially in light of um, this line in this that you wrote about consecrating your nations to Our Lady and that this is actually happening now you know with the with our consecrations that we made to Our Lady in um, 2008-2009 and just recently hearing about Austria and what other nations out there but you know the whole plan of Satan is to get all the nations together for their for their plan um, Of control or whatever. And then here, Our Lady is saying, Give me the nations, God. And that's happening one by one. It's extremely exciting to me.
2: Well, you know, our Lady got a message on the Thursday messages where she says that she wants us to live the messages and love our neighbors. That way, you'll love all those who come here, here, all the nations of the earth. She didn't say nations of the earth, but that's what she was speaking about. And so, in in writing this, this is what, you this is a, a, a reality. Our lady's come. She came to start this little village, and her whole plan, her whole scheme—if you want to call it a scheme—it's not conspiracy—was to give the impulse of the grace to win uh, enough prayers to win one grace, to win another grace, to win more grace. And so, and the whole uh, plan of that lady is to 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 have people fall in love with her. Just just listen to this. Uh, you you want to fall in love with our lady? Why not? Uh, I'm in love with her in a deep way, and I want to do everything that pleases her. Whether I write about her, whether I bring people to her, whether I live her messages for her, I want to fall deeper and deeper in love with her so that the nations, my neighbor will fall in love, that the nations will fall in love with her. And what does she want? God says, I give you the nations. That's not a message. It's what was written. But in turn, uh, God gives her that, or rather God gives... She gives the nations to her, and then God gives her the world. That's what she held at uh, Rudabach Paris with the Rackers Medal. She had the whole world in her hands. This is Our Lady. Now, um, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful experience that we see that we're in her hands. How can you not love her? How can you not want to do everything she asks you to do? And how can you not stand against sin in a strong way? You know, we, we... There's things that's written, just the last words of harvest, are very strong about we've got to stand up against sin because we love Our Lady. We love God. We love His way. We love His culture. We love our children. And there's many sins in society that will destroy us because God will not permit sin to prevail in this kind of form that's unnatural. When that happens, it's God-come-back time. He will come back. And so we have to act on this. And people, I know somebody said today. Somebody said, "Well, we're dangerous." What I wrote in the last words of Harvester, I crossed the line. You bet I am. And you bet we're dangerous because truth has always been dangerous. We're dangerous people because we're the we're the forefront. We're standing with the na- in our nation for the nation for goodness, not nationalism, not a false thing like to soccer teams against each other, our nation against another nation, but to be a light as a nation. And Austria just did the same thing. We have consecrated ourselves actually as a nation way before July of 2008. We've been doing this for years. It's like 17, 18 years we've done this every year. And so we as individuals are, are doing this. No, I know some people may be waiting. We're supposed to be talking about economics. Well, we are. This all fits into it in Alaska. Part of our our 30 minutes, we'll we'll go deeper into that. There's so much to say, so much we won't cover tonight. But uh, this thing titled "Ask" gives the the way of understanding of what a wonderful, great time we live in that God has given to us to follow and fall, not in us but in love with her, the woman.
3: Many find themselves in a situation difficult to cope with. Your family, your finances, and your past occupy your time and distract you from fully giving yourself to Our Lady. If you could just stop for just a moment and place yourself in Our Lady's presence, what would you say? How would you unburden your heart? Our Lady says, Give me all your problems and difficulties. Would you do that? Can you do that? Medjugorje.com offers you the opportunity to send your petition to be prayed over by the community of Caritas and then placed in the presence of Our Lady Queen of Peace during her apparitions. Mejigoria.com a place of meeting of hearts, a place of peace. Go to medj.com, spelled me dot and click on Send Petition. Medjugorje.com, brought to you by Caritas of Birmingham.
0: You're listening to Radio Wave with a friend of Medjugorje.
2: You know, we were inspired several years ago by a story Maria told me that uh, they had over a two-hour apparition where a lady said to Maria to tell those gathered, the prayer group, to write down uh, their intentions, their desire. Write a love letter to me. Write whatever you want. Write that. And it wasn't just, oh, please do this, help me win the lottery, this kind of thing. It was about... You know, but help change me. Help me be healed from my sins. Help me to be what you want. And just, and just discuss your life with her. And it's surreal. People are going to wonder 100 years from now that you had the opportunity to sit down and write Our Lady a letter. She reads these things. Yako says she knows what's going on even in my little toe during the apparition. He feels naked in front of her because she knows everything, even what he's about to say. And so Our Lady required this of. Of this group of people, they spent uh, over well over an hour. Our Lady stayed there peering the whole time. I was with Ivanka when, our lady, when Ivanka turned to us, never came out of ecstasy and spoke to us. She kept looking. She looked at us like she was blind. She kept looking up, although she wasn't seeing her lady. When she turned, she turned right toward my wife and I were uh, kneeling. We was right next to her. She said, "Ali, we were the only ones kneeling down, so it was a grace for us." Uh, she turns and says. I, our Lady wants everyone to kneel down. She wants to give us a special blessing. And so I guess that's why we had that favor of doing it, because we were the ones kneeling down. And, but anyway, I never will forget that look in her face as, as if she was blind. So I can just imagine Maria turning to everybody in there. Our Lady wants you to write me a letter, whatever your heart's desire. You can do that. We take it to the bedroom as a community. The bedroom apparitions, we pray over it. We take it to the field. Of apparitions, and we pray over it, and then we'll send this next batch to Mariana's apparition on the second of the month you can, she will read this do you understand that? do you understand anybody don't even know Medjugorje or about it? you can introduce them to this they can all their woes all their problems they find whatever it is you can actually write our letter our lady a letter. this will go away yes you she I'm certain she wants to be done in the future this way just sit down and write it and you offer it to her that way but we've got her physical presence and a glorified body to do that these times will never come back use this time well our lady says so moving right along um and again you can do that on med click on med what is it the med
0: right if you i don't med- do this right, if you go to medjugorje.com
2: <laughs> i just write and give it to maria right you'll see the link
0: there that says send petition and it's very simple and easy and it- Pretty much just two clicks and you're there.
2: Okay. So, uh, we want to go right into another interview that we taped earlier today of, of financially somebody who has, is a, the advice we give and, and what we want to bring this show to is how do you change your financial situation or you're struggling or, or what should you do to prepare for the future? How, how do you disjoint yourself from the system that is going to uh, pass away? And this interview will, um, Clear, clarify that and start our conversations about giving you some solid advice about how to change the direction of your life.
0: Just uh, real briefly before we get into that interview, um, uh, about 10 years ago you wrote a, a booklet called uh, As Go God's People, So Goes the World, and you said basically, you say actually you actually say it, society is dying and that we're in our winter um, and that basically technology is prolonging its death in its state of continuance. Uh, Those are pretty strong words, and just from judging from what the subject content of the beginning section of the show was about, it sounds like we've had depressions before. We've had recessions. We've had a lot of economic things that have hit the world and struck the world. But it sounds like this is something that's beyond that. We're not talking about a depression. We're talking about a recession. We're talking about people are thinking about, in the short term, their financial uh, stability, but it sounds like what you're saying is something that's beyond financial uh, stability, that it's something that's even more than that, that there's something more coming to the earth than just a depression or a recession, and that the call for Our Lady to change our lives it goes beyond this.
2: Well, everything's integrated, so it encompasses everything, but the thing we have to realize is that the end of the li- we're coming to the end of the life as we know it. I say that with clarity. Uh, it's the beginning of a life. It's going to be the beginning of our life as we should have known it to be. Our nasis is a springtime for the church coming. We're going to experience something, and that's what I want to go to after this interview because it, it, uh, why not be prepared? Why wait to be forced to do it and then try to catch up? Why not enter into it now? You know, it's like, it's like, uh, you don't have to go to the purgatory. Vizca and the visionaries have said, if you begin to live the message, you begin to live heaven on earth now, and you won't even feel this passage from this life to the next. Why do you want to feel this passage? Why do you want to suffer and wait and prolong this? I wrote in there, uh, technology is prolonging it, it, not the technology. Don't, don't misunderstand what was written. Uh, it's it's de- prolonging the death, not of the not the, te- the life of the technology. In other words, technology is prolonging the life of the economics, of our way of life, of the movie theaters, of the way, of the pleasures. Technology is advancing that and patching it up. Just like I read Dr. Swinson's talking about uh, the more rapid electronic money things and we have to come up with a solution and we're patching and patching and patching and patching. Soon there won't be any, any more patches and the dominoes will fall. So we're there. We're, we're, at, we're approaching the peak. And so it's very important that we understand this uh, and that we make our moves right now. We don't need to wait. We don't need to, as Dr. Swinson said, "Dazzle." Our lady said, "On the mountain, glitter." See, so he's in tune with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even know the message. Our lady says, "You know," he says, "The world dazzles us with this technology." Our lady says, "The world's glitter attracts us," and so that's what one of the things I found most fascinating because he's talking about the futurist, our futurists, and futurist as a science, and and just so it's so linkage. There's a linkage here, very clear in his. In his to me, I was utterly fascinated a year ago when I read this because this guy's dead on. He's dead on because he's dead on with the message and he doesn't even know it. So what do we do? What, what do you need to do right now? What, how do you disconnect from this? How do you position yourself in the best way? And this interview will kind of give you some enlight, or, or enlightenment, and then we'll talk more about that after it's finished. Uh, we have online Gary with us who actually became um, – Interesting. Carrie Tossett started coming down here and, and eventually decided to make a move. Gary, how are you doing?
8: I'm doing just fine. Thank you.
2: Uh, we really wanted just to, you to share a little bit about your coming down here and then your uh, move you made in your state in life and making a really a radical move and, and uh, your whole family, what what you did.
8: Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, my wife and children, we have several children. We have nine children now, but uh, at the time I think we just had seven. But at the time we was uh, living in Nebraska. And uh, we uh, just felt called to to move, and we actually moved here to Alabama. But it was kind of strange, and we really didn't understand it and, it, and it it was not logical. It was not rational, the way the world would see it. And uh, we admitted that to ourselves. It, it didn't really make sense. But this has been three or four years ago, and since we've moved here, uh, we could really feel that it was, you know, God working in our life. We feel very strongly that way. Um, we can see that we had a lot of uh you know probably unhealthy attachments to you know people and the things and many different things that in hindsight we can look back and feel like okay god was uh God was uh working on us at that time so uh it was a good move for us it was very bold we'd lived there and never lived anywhere else all our lives, so it was a big step for us
2: mm-hmm. well, but, you moved, uh, you moved about an hour away from Caritas, but you uh, right. when you got ready to move, I know we talked about the uh, you know, some things to do as far as moving. And one thing that was real important that I felt and, and advised you on was to downsize once you were in your house and, and uh, maintain, and be out of debt.
8: Yeah, and that, that's what we did at the time, too, because we had a big old house. And of course, we had a mortgage payment at the time. And so what we did was we, uh, we simplified a lot of areas in our life and we did a lot of things more simple. We moved to a double wide here in Alabama, a double wide home versus our large home, and we were able to sell our house. And um, we started. Well, you know, I wouldn't advise this maybe to everybody, but we felt this this strange thing that that God was calling us to do this. But at the time, our stock markets were doing well, and our retirement accounts were doing well. But we started pulling some money from our retirement accounts. We sold our other house. We came here. We were able to pay cash for a uh, for a simple home, but it had four bedrooms. It was it was very adequate and it was fine. It just was uh, a,
2: a trailer. Very,
8: yeah, it was a double wide trailer. But you know, there was a joy in that in that. The burdens of uh, and the stresses, uh, the financial stress, was was eased at that time, and and we really uh, you know found that to be a blessing too. It was uh, it was simple, but it was yet yeah, beautiful. We didn't have the you know the the debt. We didn't carry any debt at that time.
2: Well, I know you're a lab technician. you were able to really start putting away some of your salary, even because you didn't need the funds.
8: Yeah, you know I, I made a decent wage, but you know it, it, we just was in the trap of everybody else. It didn't matter what your wage is. The, the more your wage is higher your standards are. And uh we we decided, you know, it really doesn't have to be that way, so uh exactly. That's
2: so, what we did. So by scaling back you you're able to save money, you're able to get some of your retirement, you're able to live without any debt, basically an electric bill and your and your water bill and your
8: food. Yeah, that's exactly what we were doing, yeah. And so at that you point you up, were able to do a
2: next step which is to upscale a little bit more you by doing yeah. that.
8: Yeah, you know, and we always kind of had it in the back of our minds that maybe this was a temporary move and we, we felt like maybe they, God was leading us somewhere else. And what we did was uh, we just, you know, it's, again, it sounds maybe a little bit strange, but we wanted to maybe do a little farming lifestyle, an agrarian type of lifestyle. We found ourselves a little 14-acre plot, a beautiful place. It's real nice and private there. And so what we did was we built ourselves a log home, and uh, that's where we're at now. We just moved uh, less than a year ago to this log home. And... Um, We're not carrying uh, a whole lot of debt, but we did have to go back into a little bit. But yet, we still feel it's manageable. And what we're doing is, uh, you know, I did we did a lot of the work ourselves. Uh, Hadn't, you know, that was even a bold mood for us too. I had not done that sort of thing, a lot of that sort of thing. But uh, you know, we just, uh, you know, did some prayers to Saint Joseph, and uh, you know, went hard at it, and we was able to do uh, actually most of the work ourselves.
2: What do you think would have happened if you stayed in debt where you were as far as your your financial situation and even security? How you feel for what your future? Well,
8: I, I, we uh, we didn't feel the first thing about that is is we felt God had called us out here. At the time, we couldn't explain it. Looking back, three or four years later, some things make more sense to us than what they make now. Like I said, maybe some attachments we didn't realize we had, and uh, but financially, I mean. We'd still be there. We'd still be paying on that house. We, I mean, we wouldn't. Have, our wheels would be spinning. We'd be, you know, I, I, you know, don't even like to think about it because uh, we wouldn't have been doing God's will. I, I believe that strongly. We are doing what we feel we are called to do, and uh, it was a bold step. Um, like I said, I'm not going to ever advise anybody else, but in our case, I know that's what God was calling us to do.
2: Well, this is our lady's car right now. Live a life of simplicity, and that of course, we've. Promoted that for a long time, and now we want to give people solid answers to, to downsize, scale back, whatever you have to do, uh, because it's complicated to be in debt. You, you can't stop, you're enslaved, you can't keep it moving, you can't take off a few days or do whatever you want to, or stop blowing up, and build even a house like you just done. And so um, we see that you, you answered that call, and we feel that your story, that we've got many, many people like you associated with Caritas. That has followed us through the years through our latest messages, or, or follow our latest message, messages through us, that uh, life is really sitting them in a, a poised position much better than where we were for, they were before that.
8: Right. Well, and if, if there's anybody out there that's thinking about what, what we're talking about today, you know, I can just tell you, uh, even to ourselves, it didn't seem rational. So, certainly to others, you can expect people kind of to say, now no, you're doing what? You know, scratching their head a little bit. Some of these things don't make sense. But uh, if you're looking at it from a worldly standpoint where it's the normal thing to, to carry the debt and to, you know, the most you can get, you know, you got to get the biggest and the best, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Gary, we appreciate it, and thank you for uh, this time. I know you got to head to work right now to pay yeah. the grocery bills anyway.
8: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep.
2: Okay, God bless.
8: All right, thank you. God bless. Bye.
2: Bye-bye. And Gary, Gary is just one of many people. In fact, we have somebody right now moving from all the way from Connecticut down here to Alabama, and uh, actually one of our extended community members, and we live in nearby. And um, they, they, they feel it. They sense it that, that that they want to disconnect from the way their life has been. <clears throat> and uh, actually, I remember giving him advice uh, years ago about get out of debt. And from what I remember, I think he, he did. He paid off his house, took some of his savings, and. That's our advice. You know, I can tell you what I would do and what I did do. I, I We moved from a house, very roomy, comfortable, into a, a small mobile home, a trailer that people think is so awful and so horrible. But we basically became debt-free. We lived very cheaply, and we built our house, which many of you have come to the bedroom, spent eight years building it, never had a mortgage on it, and it was paid for. It. Moved in it the first night, and we slept. Slept in peace because we never owed the bank. We never paid a penny interest on it. And so... This whole thing of the banks and the system and the economic situation, all the bank failures, all the monies, and all the this whole integration of everything in this economy, is usury. It's based in usury. Usury is a sin. So you think it's going to stay? It will not stay. So what should you do? Say if you got a house and it's worth one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Say it was worth one hundred seventy-five two years ago. Now it's one hundred twenty. Say you owe fifty thousand dollars on it. Okay. So that means you got if if it's uh, say one hundred twenty-five. That means you got fifty thousand dollars or seventy-five thousand dollars equity. You know, and you think, okay, I got that. I only owe 50000 on my mortgage. $75,000, you don't have anything. You know, that's worthless. Until you get that in your pocket, you don't have any equity. That's paper. It's just like the stock market. It's just something that's just there until you cash it in. And to sell now in this market may be difficult. And, and, and six months from now, that house may be worth only 100000 so it decreases. So what I would do and what I believe in doing is take whatever equity you can get. If you had to cut that equity in half, if it's seventy five thousand you only get forty thousand, you got money in savings. Turn that into something. You know, find find you a little piece of property. Gary bought I think six acres with the first with the trailer, I think they had six or seven acres with it. You know, they immediately started getting animals. They came down, they were immediately out of debt. All these years, the whole life, the whole marriage, they'd been in debt. And he's he's had nine kids, that's just a few years ago, so he's already had six or seven kids in Nebraska. Suddenly, he's debt-free. We've had people that come here, people join the community that can't be in debt. And they just say, the one thing they talk about, it feels so good. You can go for a week here and never have your wallet and not need any cash because we've been working for years to get away from the dollar. Not because we're trying to save ourselves, but we see this system as it is now is not the simplicity and the ways that God can lead us toward holiness. So growing our own food, having our own things, gives us this capability of being free from that. And the further you get from the dollar and the further you can get from the dollar is being out of debt. And that's what he did. And he upgraded. In fact, my recommendation is don't even have debt on the next house. Whatever you got, even your savings, whatever, pay that house off. Be free. Because we don't know from one moment to the next if the economy's going to crash. And there will be catastrophic change in life from one moment to the next. This is, this is going to be this way. And so we're in a position that you need to be thinking about what could I change today? Can I take that equity? Can I change it? And don't you know, you discern it. Don't do it because I'm telling you to do this. This is what I would do, and this is what I did do. This is why I was able to work for her lady. When she called me, I had no debt. When she called me to stop my business, I had no obligation. I just quit, and I had enough money to run for years, paying myself. And and I didn't need anything. My house was paid for. It. All I had was lecture bill, and just some basic things. And so you got a question.
1: Well, we had uh, someone write in that was a little bit about had a specific question about his situation. Says, dear friend of Medjugorje, we have a 10-acre uh, land, about nine nine acres, uh, that are pasture. We've been boarding horses. However, we would like to have cattle instead. Would you recommend steers for beef or milk cows? We appreciate all you do. God bless.
2: You know, you, you say, what does this got to do with th- this? Uh, what we're talking about That's income? Okay, horses are, is a drain. So, and we live in a time where, it's calls back to simplicity. The only occupation ordained by God is agrarian. The 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 way of man in the city, uh, the light on the hill, of the city of David had 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 animals ride in the village of Jerusalem at that time. New York, we've talked about that before. Had pigs walk in the street because they kept a food chain close by. Your food chain is up. To, a meal you get, an average food meal you eat is fifteen hundred miles away from you. That's how much it travels. You think if we have a catastrophic change of life, or of commerce, of economics, that that food's going to be there? Now this is not about saving yourself and storing food. This is about change your life. May 25th, 1990. God blesses you day by day and desires a change of your life. Therefore, pray more, or not more, but pray, and you may have the strength that you may have the strength to change your life. Our Lady calls us to live a different way. The grand way of life is a, is an encounter with the Creator every day. You see, chickens make eggs. And it doesn't mean you can't be a doctor. But we, we're talking to people, and we're dealing with people now that have many means to do a lot of things. And it's just not one or two. My son was just telling me about somebody in Texas that's got all the money in the world they would have, ever want. And they're looking at, uh, at, for getting pigs and the cows and everything. Because they don't trust that their means is going to be able to support a system that this, they're beginning to realize is not su- sustainable. Word I don't like to use because United Nations has brought that, but it's a whole other topic. With with this letter, the recommendation with that is is go make flyers. The Price Foundation, which is I think it's called the Western Price Foundation dot org, is about raw milk. Go to four or five neighbors if he's got this land and and say which neighbors because you don't want to get your dairy cows. And I recommend going to dairy cows because milk is something important. To, 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 a quick fix you can buy. He could set himself up with portable milking equipment, very quickly, get four or five neighbors that would go in with him, and then uh, they swap out. He won't have to be there on Christmas morning every Christmas. You swap out with your neighbors. They get milk. They use his land. It's easy to set this up. And you have shares, and you can drink raw milk, and raw milk is very important to have. Again, what has this got to do with the messages? Everything. Everything. Start changing your life. Live a new life as of today. It's a godly way. It's a sure way. If not in debt you're not owed like uh what was his name who um sang um the coal uh, oh your company's your your sold to the company store. Um it's an old song. most people remember it, but you know, it's about coal miners that were actually enslaved to the to the um, store the company owned and they charged more than what they made the wages so the guys had to stay there. You know, they, they entrapped them. Now my granddad was a coal miner and uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford saying it. And so uh the coal mines, you know, oh Saint Joe I can't uh Saint Joe I can't go because the company store owes my soul, something like that. But anyway, the point being is is this is the way it is today. Everybody owns you. Break away from that. How can you position yourself and take what you got, little money over here, a little money in retirement, just as Gary said. And I encourage him to Do it, do it. And and he, he just felt this freedom he hadn't felt before. And most people aren't in that position. But downsize. You know, it's, it's better to live a little tight, squashed, than to live in a big house, squashed and oppressed by debt and anxiety with it. I know I was in Mexico years ago with my wife, and we were riding out in the countryside, and we saw this woman with a curtain, little, a little bitty wooden uh, cinder block house, and I'm telling you, it's not 12 feet by 12 feet. She had a baby on her hip, and she was had two kids playing in the dirt in the front, no grass. And she saw us and realized we were, you know, out of the beaten path, and obviously we were, we were Americans. And she was waving, just so happy, you know, not for getting a stop, just saw oh, these. These, are, she was happy to see us. We were just talking to, uh, we got some people I'm supposed to be speaking in Guam, and they're just talking about how poor the people are, that they're so happy. Uh, somebody was just in Costa Rica. They were telling that the people there they're impoverished and they're so happy. So uh, the book about the Great Depression is, is we had everything but money, you know, because they were happy. And so we can we can definitely see the handwritings on the wall. And why wait? Why not position yourself now and take those drastic actions that that does take courage and take strength to change your life, but that you can do it because you may not be able to do it later. If your equity falls that you've got pooled up and your uh, 401k's crash uh, and you have nothing there, your savings go away because the bank's crash, which is a very, very likely possibility. And now we don't have to sell people on it. They know that. Uh, things are so shaky. Why not take moves as solid? If things continue and it doesn't happen, as we're saying, and, and we're wrong about everything we see, which I, I, I know that can't be because the message is the truth. But say if we are, you're out of debt by doing it. You're free. You've broken the chains of of June 25th, 1989 to Ivanka from Our Lady on her annual apparition. Satan has special plans to enslave you to materialism. He is active in this plan. You've broken that cycle. And it feels good. It feels good. And it feels you have the ability to do what you want to do. You don't have that. And most of the structure out there, the system has enslaved them. So how do you break from it? Take what you can do, scrounge up what you can get, get the savings, put together, pool together, and not only that when you when you stop that debt, what income you are making can be applied to upgrading, just like Gary did. And my recommendation is Gary is is to get that debt paid now because that little debt on that little cabin they've got, if things crash six months from now, you know, Whoever has that has a house. I know during the Great Depression, um, my dad told me that they didn't take people that the house that owed a lot of them. They wanted them to live in, in that. They let them live there. The ones that had things way paid down, they took that because they had something to get. So, you know, the, the whole bottom line is is what I do. You know, 401Ks, uh, why trust that that's going to be there? You can actually take uh, that into physical metals. And you can call us. we got friends of the mission that will give you free advice about that. Uh, we can forward you to them. And we think God's people should protect what they have so that they're free and they are not they're, they don't become slaves, which leads them to stand hooked into the sin- sinful system. Many people out there listening can look at what they got and say, well, I can get rid of this, I can get rid of that, I can change that, and move into a trailer. All our friends had houses when we moved in a trailer. I don't want of to tell my wife that she's she's a nut for staying married to me to move her into a trailer, and yet we got a dream home now, because we spent eight years building ourselves and we paid as we went and we saved we scrounged and we got a beautiful home that we're going to die here on the cemetery everything's here for us everything, and when our lady called me I was free, I was free to stop my business, so. This is not something that should be happening next year. This is something that tonight, you go to pray and say, what can I do to make my radical moves now? Take what equity I can get. If you have to cut it and have to move the house, do it. Do it. we got somebody, as I said earlier, moved from Connecticut, who's so Yankee to move down here to Alabama and Southern. is radical, very radical. Much less the economic changes he's making. But we'll give him a little Alabama belt buckle and... Maybe a rattlesnake skin belt, and uh, that's what Maria was telling us the other day that her son's wanted a rattlesnake skin belt, and she said, "Well, we have to wait to go back to Alabama. We'll kill a rattlesnake because it was two hundred euros there in Europe." She said, "I had no way we got the money to pay for that." But the point is, 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 is she said they were having nostalgia about Alabama. They were at their they were having a conversation the the night, and uh, they were talking about my wife and and some things she's done and how beautiful she does things, and and they, Maria was just talking about everything so so perfect the way you have to do things, but we're free to do that, the way we structure our life. And so to be spiritual, it takes a spiritual structure. We don't go into these beautiful uh, uh, cathedrals and feel the same that we go into the basketball auditoriums we're building for churches now. Why? Because the environment is structured to emulate God, His awesom- awesomeness, His, His, His awe. And you go into the modern churches now, you don't feel anything. Everybody's talking because it gives way to talking. The environment's not there. And it's the same thing economically. You need to build that environment where you're free. And and I tell you, the conversionism is what happened out in the fields, not in the church. Our lady appeared on two different mountains. And that's where it's going back to because the bishop basically has shut down everything from the he's going to the churches. To get people, you know, people don't realize this is God's plans. It's like in a church. When we had Mass out in the field in the beginning days here, Marie says, this is like the early Christian church. It's beautiful. We had Mass in the middle of December one time. and A priest was saying, December 8th it was, it was so mystical. We felt the presence of Our Lady, quiet, the stars were out, cold. We were all circled around there, no lights, just two little candles on the altar. Beautiful. And I didn't have to go to work the next day because I was free.
1: I know Dr. Swenson mentioned that... um that there's an addiction to progress, that mankind has this addiction of of progress of of more, of wanting more and more more that that there's a real attachment that people have towards not just things and material things, but even people in our lives. that God is not the first place, and our lady has kept saying that over and over and over again, put God in your in the first place, and Gary had said that when they said yes to God's will and they came here that one of the first things that god enlightened them to is that they had attachments that god had wanted them to work through and so part of this whole progress or process is to realistically and and with um real honesty to look at our attachments to um, see if we have idols in our lives things that are um put in front of god that god is to be first and that in taking this path you can't help but grow closer to the heart of god closer to the heart of our lady
2: well we of course are out of time one more point i want to make though before we run out of time uh there's so much to cover this and so much to say about we and we actually wanted to where people can come here and we can show them the grand way of life how to get toward that and 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 uh Give me a small little hut compared to a, a $100,000, 200000 house, no matter what, where I've just got to work to keep it up. You're working to keep it up, not your way of life. I'd rather have it, and God wants it, and Our Lady wants it, where you're working for the way of life. She gives us a way. She just said this in the 25th message. Um, Our Lady says, I-, I call you to grow on this way. And grow grow is tied to agrarian. Uh, Alay's message is repeatedly compared. She do not compare it to, say, uh, grow like the, the skyscrapers. She's not comparing it to this. She do not speak in that terms. Uh, February twenty fifth, two 2006, Alay says, Do not be closed, but with prayer and renunciation say yes to God, and he will give you in abundance. You know, on this life. What do you use? There's another message Alay says, Use the things of the earth tip help you toward eternity. So it's not that we forsake things. We're to change our our economic situation, that we're free with these things, utilize these tools to evangelize the message, evangelize God. That's what we're doing with retooling, even here on our mission. We won't borrow money to make this massive do- thing we're doing. It's to buy the equipment, pay for it, and use it as seeds. I see it. Every book comes off of this new machine will be a seed somewhere upon the earth it goes to, wherever it's delivered to. And this message I just quoted from, when lady says, God will give you an abundance. What is abundance? What do you think about with abundance? What, what is abundance? What do you compare it to? This is what a lady goes on and says, as in springtime, the earth opens to the seed and yields a hundredfold. So also your heavenly father will give you an abundance. See, everything's tied back to agrarian. Her old talked about it. your heart is like plowed soil. Remember that message. Go out and have an encounter with the Creator. When you see a, a, a calf being born, you can't help but think about God. When you go, We go out in five, this morning at 5 a.m. prayer. Beautiful. We've had so many clouds for weeks. It was crystal clear, the stars. I, my neck had a creak in it looking at the stars this, this morning. It was beautiful. And so I had an encounter with God in my three rosaries I said this morning. And and, and I, I love that. I love the depth of that, the depth of, of space and seeing these stars and the Big Dipper and all this because we're outside. It's the amphitheater of God's creation where we really come closest to Him. We win graces when we're going to Mass and when we do adoration. That's part of it, yes. But there's something also out there in the soil, outside, and Our Lady's way is toward this way. So we're in extraordinary times. Dr. Swinton says... We do indeed live in a special time in history. When Abraham first crossed the Canaanite border and entered the promised land, that was promised, or rather that was a special, that was a special moment. When Moses first knocked at Pharaoh's door and demanded, let my people go, that was a special moment. When an angel star finds mitigation, integrated over a lonely Bethlehem stable 2,000 years ago. That was a special moment. Even so, on our generational shift, it seems to me that this, too, is a special moment. None of these special moments was free from strife. This is a profound statement that he just said. Now, that was his message. And this is our lady's message, June 25, 1993. I am with you. And I bless all of you day by day. Dear children, these times are particular. You see his parallel. He's saying there's a special moment. Our Lady says this is a particular time. And he says, Swinson, this is not without strife. Our Lady says this is a difficult time. But what comes from this? Tolling the soil, planting the seed, the hardship, the sweat, harvest, fruit, a way of life. And so it is with what Dr. Swinson talked about, free from strife. It was not free from strife. You know, in Bethlehem, the star of the beautiful the birth it was the death of all the children, Rachel's children. And so we have the same thing with the promised land. They had to go and conquer that. So we live in a momentous time, a time to change your life. And the only way to do that is that if it's the only way to do that is to move in a trailer, move into a trailer. It's just that simple. And so people say, well, I'm in the city, or I'm too old, or I'm at that age. Well, you know, you're, you're, you, we, we, we've we're enslaved, we're caught, and some people may not be able to escape it. But there's a lot of people out there in listening distance that can change that, that must change that, to be able to operate in the moment of the change, the time of grace. Because after this is over, when we're forced to do these things, it's going to be much more difficult and much more unpleasant. And that's why they say sooner come soon. August 25th, 1997 is the date. Read that message. Soon will come a time you will lament for these messages. Why don't you put them into practice? Don't wait. There's so much more we could talk about. We're already over our two-hour mark here. So write to us. Call us. You know, If you want to hear more about this, maybe we can have another show about it. But this, Fundamentally, the thing is, is you need to economically change your situation. You need to take your 401ks and don't let them invest it. You legally have a right to invest that. You can put it in the silver. The best silver is animals and lands and a trailer. And then upgrade from there once you build it up. But if you have the interim, when you change that and you have to put it somewhere, don't keep it in cash, put it in some metals, in particular silver. Again, we have friends at the mission that will advise you free if you want to call Caritas later or write to us and we'll turn you over to them. Because we feel the obligation is to get you out of this enslavement, to get you free to live a spiritual life Because our charism is to bring you to the message This is Our Lady's way.
0: And, of course, unfortunately we are to the end of our broadcast today. But, uh, again, reiterating the beginning point of the show, the first step is prayer. So we encourage you to get those petitions uh, to us, and we will get those before Our Lady. We promise you that. Uh, That is what this mission exists for, is to expose as many people as possible to Our Lady. So the first step being prayer. Uh, Write your petitions, send those to us, and we will pray over those. The, uh, that will be November 2nd, which is Monday. Now, it's very important that you get the petitions to us before that day, especially for those living in the United States. Uh, that apparition will be actually in the middle of the night between Sunday and Monday. So it's very important that Saturday, uh, no no later than midday Sunday, that you uh, get those petitions to us. So, again, if you go to Medjugorje.com... And uh, click on send petition, uh, write out your petitions, and uh, we will pray over those, and we will have those uh, presented uh, before Our Lady. And again, a very exciting broadcast tonight you spread this to all your friends, to all of your family, send this to all the people on your email lists. And uh, again, uh, for those of you that still have your doubts about um, the future and is all these are all of these things going to take place, and will things happen? Again, the scripture says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, so... Again, we encourage you in that and uh, spread this to everyone you know.
2: Well, in the end, there's only one thing that's real, and that's love. And love works and it always works, and there's nothing else but that. And so the love of Our Lady, the love of God to follow that can't end up with but a life that you're closer in, in love with God. So we end the night with uh, still many things to be said. You can write to us, ask questions, and maybe we'll address some of those things in the future. Meantime, spread this as far as as everybody, uh, everybody that you know, We love you, and we wish you, Our Lady, good night.